Hello, kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament, One News' political podcast. My name is Felix Demaray and with me is the business in front, party in the back of New Zealand political reporting, including... Jessica Much Mackay. Hi, I, I, that that is a questionable intro. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Felix. <laughs> I am Lillian Hanley. Also lovely to be here. Kia ora, I'm Kushla Norman. Kia ora, koutou. Uh So, obviously, the elephant in the room is Mika Fighteri. Jess, what does this mean for the election? This means big things for the election. There's a few things, uh, if buts and maybes, if. Mika Whaiteri wins the seat of Ikaroa Rafati as the as Te Party Māori candidate, then that would make a real difference to the shape and the look of the election. Because our recent polling has shown Te Party Māori is in that kingmaker position, that would bolster that for them. And as we all know, if you have an electorate seat, any party vote you get is on top of that, which really strengthens your position. She may win that, she is a favourite to win that, but it has always been a Labour seat. Mm. So if they can find someone in a real who is a real superstar, it will be a really fun and fierce battle. The other thing that I wanted to point out, and we're still waiting for clarity on this, is around this whole idea of whether Mika should actually be here uh, in, in Parliament. As an MP. Mm. As a Member of Parliament. And the Speaker stood up and called her an independent MP. But she told us earlier in the day that she'd sent a letter to the Speaker resigning as a as the MP for Labour. Now, the Speaker said, no, no, she's just said that Labour doesn't have her voting rights anymore. But I had heard from a senior contact that a letter was withdrawn from the Speaker. So we need some clarity around that from the Speaker and uh, it hasn't been forthcoming um, over the last... 12 hours or so. So we do need details on that, and I think we're going to see some more clarification on that uh, in the House. And the reason that that matters and the reason that people care about it is it, is because of her future as a Member of Parliament. What I mean, stood out I, for you guys? I would also just say that people care about it, because I, like, I am still quite confused, <laughs> as I'm sure many others are, even sort of constitutional law experts have, have been following it very closely, and it's kind of the the... What is not clear is because it, like minor minor details, like whether it was a letter or an email, and whether it was signed or whether she used a particular word or not, and that like caused a twenty thirty minute conversation in the house yesterday before question time even started, and it, it was actually fascinating to watch. Like I really enjoyed the process because welcome to being a political <laughs> geek because we're we were sitting watching you know, our parliamentarians debate and discuss how our law works in practice. And it's a fairly new law. It's a pretty controversial law. Some people, you know, don't really like it. And I'd I'd say that maybe Labour doesn't necessarily like it, but they brought it in and now they have to kind of reap the consequences, I suppose. So it's pretty wild that since Mika Whaiteri did her speech, what was it, yesterday morning, and today's Thursday, I should say, we haven't really been that clear about whether an MP is an MP. An MP. <laughs> that is crazy. Like and it should be like it's the law. It should be really, really clear what's gone on, the process, and it's not. And it should be transparent as well. Yeah, That's the thing that crucially all of this stuff. Um, people are like, oh, you know, the details of it, but it matters. It matters because uh, 
well, it's democracy. Like, well, it's, it's democracy, really but it's also where she, where, um, she sits, whether she has access to the building, whether she um, will be able to vote. There's there's lots of ramifications of it. I mean, it just it had all the elements of a really fascinating story. Like some of these stories, you think if you'd told me this um, on Monday, you would never have believed it. Like the prime minister is on the other side of the world, and UK and has no idea it's happening. She ghosts her whole party, including some of her very close friends and colleagues. The candidate that was selected for Te Party Māori got ditched from the seat and was, was her, her cousin. cousin. Yeah, and you know, it's just seemingly so... did it voluntarily too, like and very uh, graciously. Yeah. At that, I might add, I mm. don't, you'd never know what's happening behind the scenes, but she spoke. Um, I think she bowed out with a lot of grace mm. and dignity, mm. and um, you know, we don't see that. Um, very much in politics, yeah, and it's and gotta hurt. and it was emotional at the Marae. Like there were a lot of tears from mm. a lot of people. So mm. just all of these, and elements. then the mission from Kitty Allen, who got oh, disp- yeah. dispatched up there in a truck to try and talk her around. And don't you love that? It does slightly leave me in the corner rocking about the Jamie Lee Ross saga when he drove from um, Auckland to Wellington. It does kind of give a slight sense of manic when you're. Yeah, the urgency, the sort of how important is this? It's quite important and, and it's quite urgent and nobody is answering their phone calls. So actually, let's just go and see you in person. Let's just dispatch Kitty Ellen. Like, it, it was, and I, I love it because, too, I was I was leaving work uh, a little bit late that the night before and I saw Kitty Ellen leave in her truck and I thought, oh, there's Kitty Ellen's truck. Why is she in her truck driving somewhere on a sitting week. It's a bit unusual. So, yeah, just a funny moment that, you know, came full circle the next day. Speaking of funny moments, we could revisit, but I just want to... Speaking of yesterday, it was there was so much sort of new information coming out throughout the day. So you had, you know, the, the story breaks Wednesday night. There's, sorry, Tuesday night, and then Wednesday morning we have the speech um, from Mecca, which, you know, this was the first that we had heard from her, from anyone really, nobody else kind of knew what was going on. This was going to be the kind of moment of truth. And we had uh, promised a a sort of response and a stand up from the acting prime minister and also Calvin Davis following that. And then it was sort of like, a okay, we have to wait for the speakers ruling at two o'clock. And so then that, so it, throughout the whole day, we were all sort of gathering this but kind of really information. But not really clear updates, not just still a void of information. Indeed. And- I wanted to just note, though, in that stand-up at, 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 at 11 o'clock, or moved to 11.30, and everyone was on the tiles, a number With of the MPs... The Prime Minister and Calvin Davis. That's right, the acting Deputy Prime, or acting Prime Minister and Calvin yes. Davis. They were on the tiles with all of the um, press gallery pretty much hanging out, <laughs> trying to get some answers, and a number of national MPs walked past the upper level, mm. and we've talked about this before on the podcast in the sense of when you're on the tiles, you're very visible to kind of everything else or everyone else that's walking around either along the tiles or above you. And a number of national MPs, I have to say, stopped and had some sort of gleeful smiles <laughs> as they looked down on the kind of chaos that was unfolding in front of them. And it is funny with these situations because it is a gleeful political story. And so the chaos and the carnage that goes with that, there's a lot of energy that uh, I always think that parliament building itself has an energy and a rhythm mm. um, with the, when these big stories happen. But you do have to bring it back to the fact that this is a really important matter for New Zealanders and is about whether an MP can stay on and represent her people when 
particularly, um, a big chunk of it has been affected by a cyclone. So there's lots of different mm. layers to yeah, it. Yeah, and that glee, I, 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 it's hard because we get quite excited about things like this. It sort of, you know, it makes our day very interesting. We're learning new things that kind of changes the whole playing field in a way, especially this story. But sometimes these kind of issues can be quite hurtful as well or when say a leader gets rolled and that can be quite exciting in terms of the news side of it but it can be quite hurtful and I do think like in this instance it's actually it hasn't really been hurtful in that nobody has kind of thrown anyone else under the bus is how I see it. The Labour... Well. I know, I know, I know what you mean in terms of... Okay, ghosting the Prime Minister is pretty bad. <laughs> ghosting the leader your of your party. party under the Throwing bus. your whole... But, but it... Carmen Cipollone seemed uh, kind of emotional. Yes, she, I think she was pretty frustrated. But it hasn't got personal. What I'm saying mm, is yeah. that a number mm. of the MPs... Well, okay, particularly the Māori caucus were very fair in that they were saying, you know, she... she all power to her. She has, you know, kaiya te mana. That was kind of their thing. Is it's her decision to mm. make. Yes, it's sad and it's disappointing. But we didn't see Mecca come out guns blazing and being like, labour this, labour that. That's and I what think I mean. it's interesting. And I think it's timing on both sides. A, because we are five months out from an election and everyone has to show a bit of dignity because very soon we will be going out, they will be going out to New Zealand and saying, hey, please vote for me. So I think you have to, they have to hold a bit of that back. B, it's done, so there's no scrapping, it was done and dusted. But C, they may have to work together post-election. So slagging each other off, throwing mud at each other, um, it They've got to keep in mind that they may really need those key personal relationships um, if they are going to form a government after the election. But maybe some quite shrewd political manoeuvring here from Te Pāti Māori. Um, how much does this shore up their votes and is there sort of a shift going on here and could they be recruiting some more high-profile names potentially. And is this such a bad thing for Labour? I don't think that they'll be completely angry about it. And interestingly, Willie Jackson actually said that it was um, Mika Whaiteri who who approached them about wanting to stand. So I do think that's quite interesting. Mm. But if they have a um, minister coming to them saying, hey, I'd like to jump onto your party, thank you, they say with with a pretty much dragging a seat with her – They'll say, yes, thank you very much. And you're right, it is a smart move because let's say they get um, 2 or 3%. That is then on top of the electorate MPs they get. So it could really um, bolster their caucus. Because remember, at the last election, um, there was Debbie and, and um, Rawari Waititi only just scraped in. Mm. So they only just got two MPs. And that's tough. Two MPs is a tough gig. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think having a few more to spread the load, especially in massive electorates, um, would be a big big thing for them. Yeah, certainly very curious. And it's good to be back in part, you know, with the sitting week and everything, and it sure has kicked off again. Quite and, exciting. Yeah, and I should say, obviously, Benedict Collins isn't here because he's defected to Te Pāti <laughs> um, I, I do realise at the top there, I didn't actually give any context, but I do presume that most listeners to Inside Parliament are politics tragics and know that Mika Whaiteri uh, announced that she was resigning from the Labour Party and joining Te Pāti Māori, and that's rather significant considering she's a minister. Um, so moving on, um, we also had some changes to the Clean Car Scheme uh, this week. 
Jess, you, you covered that. Can you tell us what, what were the changes? Yeah, what was really interesting with this is that uh, because it was so successful, it basically meant the government was dishing out more money than it was bringing in. So they've made some changes to that to try and make it a bit more um, cost neutral, but they've also put another $100 million in there just to keep it going as well. And it means that... Um, you know, people who want to buy an electric vehicle or some hybrids can get that rebate. The tweaks were around um, slightly lowering the threshold for full electric vehicles used, uh, sorry, new electric vehicles, sli- slightly rising for used electric vehicles, and uh, then really boosting up the amount that you have to pay for a high emitting car. So it really hurts if you're trying to uh, run a ute around that's pretty old um, or a, a van that isn't um, isn't very, what's the word I'm Fuel efficient. For? Fuel efficient, thank you. So, so what the Nats call the so-called ute tax. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's a really, it's interesting tweaks and an interesting scheme, but it's almost a product of its own success because so many people tapped into it. Mm. And there was yeah. a Tesla versus Toyota kind of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bit of argument. Raru, raru. So who's getting uh, more money? Yes, and this was, this was a debate that went on all day. So since the scheme began... Tesla has been Tesla cars have been paid more money. The minister wants the measure to be um, in the last year since hybrids were included, and if that if hybrids are included and you take the last year, then that is uh, Toyotas who have been paid more money. Now, obviously, that whole perception of mm. the Tesla um, Tesla drivers um, being paid out isn't what the minister wants. But he did make a point that look, um, I'd rather people were buying Teslas than buying big gas-guzzling SUV. So it isn't, it's a really interesting debate. But yeah, I did quite like the Tesla-Toyota debate. And nice alliteration there too. And it seemed to get a little bit under his skin in the House. He said to Simeon Brown that it seemed the National Party with every climate policy was was trying to make a tacky little culture war. So it was quite, quite was the it- comment in the House. He also said that the policy changes were electrifying. Yeah. Oh. Electrifying. <laughs> Thanks, something Dad. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I put it in the story. I yeah. appealed to me. <laughs> electric, electrifying. We did, had to do some foxies uh, for oh, yeah. that story. And I did really appreciate um, the young man in Petoni who, when I asked if he uh, had an electric car, he said, no, I've got my electric feet. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. Stand true. That was the best foxy of the day. It was. <laughs> or possibly my career. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you might have peaked. <laughs> um, I just want to point on, yeah, on your, the point about the kind of success of the scheme it does seem like the government has created something um you know really that is making people change the way that they look at cars or or, or what kind of cars that they want to drive they kind of get that this is probably a good idea and that initial uptake when the scheme first came in really increased the amount of people who or the number of people who were kind of buying these cars um, it will be interesting I'd be interested to see whether the government plans to put more money or continue that scheme going on in the future Um, it does seem that it's sort of like they're a bit squeezed perhaps because it was so successful they kind of had to tweak it a bit to make it almost a bit narrower and the tricky thing with it is if you are a family with one or two kids and you're looking to buy a car happy days there are options for you 
if you have a big family, if you have, um, if you need a ute, if you need a van, if you need a small truck, those options are more limited. And the scheme works for um, some, but it really doesn't for others. And mm. what it does is it really penalises those who, like, let's say you um, live in central Otago and you need a large SUV um, to get around and when it snows and when it's flooding and Get getting around the farm and, and yeah. yeah, all of that kind of stuff. Now you there are some options available in EVs, but not many. And then there the you know, there's a big group of people who are then having to pay that extra if they buy a new or used car new or used car. So I, I do see how it is a sense of anger and frustration. But for others who are like, oh I'm weighing up my options and now I can afford an EV or a hybrid, that and that's the game changer because it gives that makes it more of a viable option. And and in five years, when if let's say they get a new Tesla and sell it, then that becomes a second hand market for Teslas, and that then means somebody else might be able to get in. And so it does have a flow on a on effect. It's a trickle down for EVs. But also one thing, just wanting to note that when you did those voxies um, in the heart. A couple of people, particularly young people, were like, nah, nah, I love the sound yeah. of, of um, normal cars. cars. Yeah. Okay. And I just was like, wow, I am. I had not considered that. So they just said, oh, nah, I much prefer petrol cars because I really like the red I was sound. surprised, especially because yeah. they mm. were the younger ones that I sort of mm. spoke to. And I was like, surely we've kind of grown out of that. Surely that's not really we're a racist, thing anymore. Though, it's the heart. <laughs> or <Kushler. laughs> But I did. We'll, we'll speak to them later. Yeah, yeah, what they yeah. want to say. I feel like I can do quite a good impression of an EV. Go on. Oh no, that wasn't that good. Okay, I oh, think I'm going to work like, on it. There's just no sound. You know, I just feel like it is really. No, quiet. you know, it sounded like a prick. Okay, I feel like we're peaked in content quality <laughs> here. So let's move on to our next topic. Um, yeah. So um, this is a bit a bit darker, obviously, um, uh, with the. Uh, it seems that some. Dawn raids have been happening again. Kushla, you were you were covering this. What happened and what was the response? Well, was it a raid? Was it a visit? Was it a compliance check? I mean, mm. Immigration New Zealand say they don't do raids. Um, what happened was that uh, a Tongan overstayer, he got a visit from uh, two immigration officers early hours um, of one morning a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this happened in an Auckland suburb, and, and um, they knocked on his door at six in the morning. Now, the lawyer told me that it was rather disturbing and distressing for that family. There were four children sleeping there. They got woken up to loud banging. Um, their father, the lawyer says, gets um, taken away, detained, put in custody for two nights. So quite distressing events that... Um, brought back flashbacks of those traumatic raids in the 1970s where there was a, a crackdown mm. on Pacifica people, right? And what makes it really uncomfortable and difficult for this government is that two years ago, in 2021, Jacinda Ardern delivered this historic, emotional apology, unreserved apologise to uh, Pacifica people, and that was an incredibly emotional service, you might remember, mm. um, people crying at it. Um, and that was quite what probably one of her uh, legacy 
um, mm. moments yeah. as well that would go down in history. And here you have, um, you know, what looks has got sort of some of the qualities of, of a dawn raid happening again. Um, so the government came out pretty strong on this. We heard Chris Hipkins talking about it at Postcab, saying how concerned he was. And then the next day, Acting Prime Minister Carmel Cipollone saying, you know, immigration, uh, New Zealand cannot act like this. Michael Wood wrote to the CEO. And there were quick changes from it. Um, so now Immigration New Zealand from the top, they have to sign off any what they call after-hour raids or visits, as they would call them. Um, so those happening before the hours of 7am um, and, and after 9pm. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is, so since the borders reopened in, uh, what would have it been? When did borders reopen? 2020. Last year, last year. Two. About this time last year. It's all a blur. A it's all a blur. blur. But in that time, there have been Immigration New Zealand have done about 600 checks all up at, at any hours, you know, and about 20 of those checks have been um, outside of hours, so early in the morning or mm. later. And then if you look at the ethnic breakdown of those 20, um, the, the three of them are concerned Pacifica people, uh, about 10 of them concerned Chinese. What did the opposition say about this? I think they steered away from it quite a lot because they, um, they when we asked Christopher Luxon about it, he said, look, I just don't have uh, the details on same, it. Same with Nicola Willis. So yeah, I, so I, I think they hadn't really been across the details of it. I had questioned them, but they, I think they, they, they did show concern about the method of you know, in the sense that they didn't really, they, neither of them wanted to see dawn raid type practices, but they, you know, you know consider even David Seymour was sort of like given that history, it's, you know, it's not, he didn't use the word inappropriate, but that, that was the sense that I got. Mm. But both uh, Seymour and Willis, I'm not sure exactly what Luxon said, but they were also mindful that you had... Um, dealing with people who are ultimately breaking the law. So for them, they wanted to see the details and, and understand you know, what the best way is of dealing with that. The umbrella going over all of this is that um, the dawn raids were such a big moment, um, you know, well, a period of time, not just a moment, um, in New Zealand history, and there's such a hangover from that. And I think that that's what needs to be kept in, mi in mind when we're looking at this, and that's why it sits so uncomfortably with people and why yeah. as it should, should be as it yeah. should really in the sense that yeah you you we have well the government apologized ultimately and said it was wrong and and that's something I think actually the Greens were the ones that made the point when you apologize for something you don't do it again yeah. no and what happened really looks like it risks undermining that whole apology and looking like it totally exactly and and um Carmel Sepuloni um pointed out um that the government isn't necessarily across the the detail of the operations of immigration New Zealand, but at the same time, it's embarrassing for the government and it sets the framework in which they op uh, the framework yeah. in which they operate. Yeah, well, the policy settings allow mm. things to happen, right? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, interesting, interesting one there. Um, and it seems like to some extent there's a bit of a conclusion, but we'll. Um, Obviously, keep across it um, if there's any developments. All right, so I think that's us for the week. Um, besides from Pits and Peaks, um, who's got a pit? 
and a peek. We'll see if I can do mine short and sweet. I actually want to, I suppose, touch back on the Mikafai City. I think this week, this kind of move made for, in the sense of a peak, a very, very exciting, um, again, there's kind of all these moments that are that are pointing to the election and making for quite an exciting election. I think that that, that move was, um, yeah, uh, the, to signal a sort of growing effort in, in the Māori Party securing the Māori seats. Um, and I do think that the Māori seats are going to be something to really watch this election. So that, that peak... Um, in that sense, and I also want to acknowledge, I think, just her kind of process of whether this is right or wrong, but her kind of saying that this is my move home, um, and acknowledging the whakapapa of political activism and those sorts of things, going back to Te Pāti Māori. I guess the other side of that, though, the pit in that is that for Te Rafati and for those constituents who, who have been through a really tough mm. time, losing their their electorate MP and the minister overseeing the sort of cyclone recovery work in that regard, I think that that could be a bit of a blow for them. So that would be my pit. Yeah. I'd say a peak for all political nerds would have been that fiery 30 minutes of constitutional debate. (laughs) That was absolutely fascinating. And I just enjoyed watching all the faces in that chamber. um, Absolutely agog at what was going on. Uh, The peak, though, would be just the shambolic nature of that resignation and the fact that we still didn't really get clarity and that surely... Was that your pit or your peak? Are you saying peak for... Probably peak, peak for, peak, for shambolic peak, nature. Peak, yeah. peak for constitutional debate. Yeah, and pit riveting for constitu- shambolic. And, and, and oh, pit yeah. for shambolic right. nature of the resignation. We like chaos, but we don't like shambles. Got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, that was confusing. <laughs> oh, I understand it. Um, uh, for me, I think, yeah, being back uh, sitting week again is just awesome. Um, awesome to um, leap into a very uh, meaty political story. Um, thanks for that, Mika Whaiteri. Um And Pitt, I actually, look, I, I am a fan of constitution, constitutional law. Well, can I say I'm a fan of constitutional law? I'm interested I'm in constitutional, constitutional law. It's a mild hobby. I around the edges. Yeah, yeah, I dabble. Um, but I found that debate akin to torture. Um, it was quite painful from my perspective. Um, we very obviously different people. I'm not, yeah, I I'm not, I I'm not yucking your yum. Um, you know, I love your life. Um, so with that, um, I think we'll sign off ah, there. Ah. Oh, oh, I forgot my pits and pigs. Oh, and I sorry. had such a good segue from your meaty issue to other okay, meaty issues. Okay, I'll say issues. it again. Here, meaty issue. Speaking of meaty issues, what the Prime Minister was given oh. some sausage rolls by <laughs> King Charles. Um, and he had heard through the grapevine that our Prime Minister is partial to it. So... Uh, I find I, this kind of embarrassing. Yeah, yeah and, it was, and it was a doggy bag too. <laughs> oh, so, no. Um, but the other uh, thing that I thought was really interesting was that uh, the Prime Minister spoke to um, Zelensky, uh, President Zelensky, on Monday this week. Uh, that was the first time they've talked to uh, talk about our commitments to Ukraine, and we've seen um, some more uh, promises to support the Ukraine war effort. So I thought that was uh, an, an interesting thing to note this week as well. That's all. Now you can wrap up. Thanks for letting me Kapai. have my moment. Uh, sorry, sorry, I nearly cut you out of your pits and peaks. Um, so that was One News Inside Parliament. That was your peak behind the scenes of the biggest political stories of the week. 
Uh, we've got our email address. Flick through uh, an email yarn to us if you would like with any feedback or things you want us to talk about. That is inside parliament at tvnz.co.nz. And head to onenews.co.nz where I write brilliant things always. Uh, uh, on the website, um, and uh, I wasn't really following through with my belief in myself there, was I? But I, no, the One News website is fantastic. Go there. Um, and go to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well, um, One News NZ. Um, and if you like this episode, tell a friend to listen and rate and review us. Thanks very much to Lisa and Brian, our great audio engineers, and see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>